Good morning. Hey, it's a beautiful sun in the old Pueblo, and you're listening to KTDT Tucson. Thank you for spending a part of your New Year's Eve with us on your downtown Tucson community-sponsored, all-volunteer-powered rock and roll radio station. And welcome to our year-end wrap-up. Last week, we highlighted six of our episodes that featured music or food or a combination thereof. And this week, we're going to focus on the history, culture, and those who share it with us. Today is December 31st, 2023. My name is Tom Heath, and you're listening to Life Along the Streetcar. Each and every Sunday, our focus is on social, cultural, and economic impacts in Tucson's urban core, and we shed light on hidden gems everyone should know about. From A Mountain to the University of Arizona and all stops in between, you get the inside track right here on 99.1 FM, streaming at downtownradio.org, also available on your iPhone or Android using our very own Downtown Radio Tucson app. If you want to interact with us on the show, best way is through Facebook and Instagram. And uh, you can find more information about our show, past episodes, or contact us on our website, lifealongthestreetcar.org. And of course, we invite you to listen to our podcast, which is on all types sorts of platforms out there. Well, we started this new tradition last week, so it's very traditional nowadays. And uh, we're going to kind of highlight some of the past episodes uh, of the year. And uh, we're going to talk more about history and culture and people making an impact in our community. Last week was really kind of focused on food and beverage. Um, so today will be a, a, a different focus, but you can listen to all of these episodes or uh, listen to last week's wrap-up on our website, lifealongthestreetcar.org. And we're going to start today with a very powerful and emotional uh, story we did uh, earlier in the year, around uh, mid the year, actually in June, is with Lisa Hansen. She is the founder and CEO of the Tucson nonprofit Power Over Predators. And with 20 years of experience, she shared with us how they are helping to train and educate our community and our youth um, in what she believes is a hidden pandemic within our uh, within our community. And I've got to tell you, it's it's a it's a challenging topic. So there are some uh, um, uh, sensitive. Uh, comments in in the following uh, three minute segment, so uh, just be aware of that. And uh, but here's uh, Lisa Hansen. We provide prevention education. Uh, I believe that prevention is well. It's actually the first P when it comes to on a national level. How do we approach the issue of? Um, reducing child exploitation, specifically child sex trafficking, and they bring up four Ps and it starts with prevention. And then it goes to protection and prosecution and then partnership. Uh, The interesting thing is, is across the country, prevention is what is lacking. And so I've, I've been doing prevention education for about 25 years now. And it's just such a powerful tool because it's a, it's a discussion, it's a conversation, it's, Um, helping kids define things so that they can be aware or or realize that maybe they're in a sticky situation that they don't know how to get out of. We started uh, the, the addressing the issue in Tucson back in 2010, and we found out that there was absolutely nobody assigned in law enforcement to trafficking, to human trafficking, specifically child trafficking. And what was ironic about that scenario was at the time when we were having this discussion and they said that they'd never had a single case, it was because they didn't understand the definition of of child sex trafficking, where anybody who's a minor, a child under the age of 18, if they participate in any type of sex act for any 
thing of value. It is the felony crime of child sex trafficking. And so we had people serving time, especially girls serving time and facing facing criminal charges and being charged with crimes of prostitution when in fact they were victims of child trafficking. And so this is not to to shine a negative light on law enforcement. We've we've made a lot of changes. And um, once you understand the definition, it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. 88% of the sex trafficking cases today are happening online. And people are like, but I thought trafficking was a child being kidnapped. It's absolutely not. Uh, a child can be trafficked behind their own screen at their home while they're playing a video game because they're being coerced into giving nude photos of themselves or videos of themselves to a predator online. If we aren't protecting our kids and we aren't aware of how predators are using especially devices to get to kids, um, then they're just, how, how does a child stand a chance? That's where the education piece comes in. I appreciate, I appreciate the idea of needing to prosecute traffickers and I appreciate needing to protect people with aftercare. But the problem is, is all of that is too late because that means something's already happened, that that, that child has been abused or, explored, or exploited. And so that's why prevention is, is just key in this conversation. So that is what Power Over Predators does. That is Lisa Hansen, the CEO, founder of Power Over Predators. We actually did a two-part episode uh, because that topic was so expansive. Uh, and we did it back in June. This episode is 250 and 251. And uh, moving to another uh, segment of our population that uh, this organization, IMU360, is looking to help. Uh, they focus on an array of holistic services for homeless uh, teens and young adults, including you know, basics like hygiene and self-development curriculums, all the way to housing and home ownership. We actually interviewed uh, Jessica Kaiser for this. She was organizing a fundraiser, which was a prom. And Jessica's a downtown business, uh, a businesswoman. She owns Kaiser Workspaces and uh, got to talk to us about uh, IMU 360. I've known the founder, Desiree Cook, for a few years now. And so I got to hear Desiree's story on this very personal note. And I was just so inspired by what she's done, where she experienced trauma and got off on the wrong track herself and, um, you know, got into drug use and uh, lost her children and went to prison and then used that time to really heal and improve herself. She did the work and she came out and she was inspired to start this nonprofit that is now doing such an incredible service. She's building tiny homes for children that are aging out of the foster care system. And I cannot think of a more vulnerable segment, right? So the poor children didn't get adopted as foster kids. They've just gone through trauma for 18 years, you know, that they did. And they know they're about to enter the adult world completely unprepared. They don't have a support system. They don't have a network. They don't have the skills. They don't trust the people around them. Um, and you know, her story really resonated with me. I myself was not in the foster care system, but you know what, Tom, I probably should have been. Hmm. Um, I went through a lot as a child. I've experienced all the levels of abuse and neglect and abandonment. And if it wasn't for the people around me that lifted me up and supported me through those really, really critical pivotal moments in my youth, I, I'd be on hard drugs and homeless myself. I know that I would. But it's the people that came around me when I needed it most that, that really 
I mean, let's give them credit, right? Like, where would I be otherwise? So when she told me her story about what she's doing, I was just, I was really, really inspired. She's doing so many great things. You know, she's building these homes. She also has a, um, it's called a hygiene pantry where she's collecting shampoos and conditioners and various hygiene project products. And she's doing backpack drives. And um, it's just, it's an incredible um, amount of effort that goes into. Um, the first thing that came to mind is we need to have an event. We need to show the community, first of all, what you've been doing. And second of all, what we're capable of when we come together. And I don't know if you've been to any of my parties, Tom, but they're off the hook. <laughs> That was Jessica Kaiser of Kaiser Workspaces talking about her uh, fundraiser, the prom she did for IMU 360. And from all accounts, it was off the hook. Uh, and she was sharing with us the story of uh, the founder, Desiree, and the challenges she's overcome and how she is helping youth, um, especially those coming out of the foster care system, uh, young adults that are transitioning and uh, doing all kinds of holistic services. Uh, that was back from uh, back in August. It was episode 261. We're going to switch gears a little bit and uh, talking about parties, we're going to switch over to a filmmaker, Chris uh, Carlode, who brought us A Tale of Two Houses, which uh, it documents a very special time in Tucson's music history that focused on two houses right there on Speedway and Euclid from the areas of 1983 to 1989. And uh, we kind of talked to him about the the uh, genesis of, of this uh, documentary and, and, and really what he was hoping to uh, to bring to our community. This is uh, Chris Carlone back from uh, July of 2023. When I first moved here, it was really when I first started playing music when I was like 16. But I mean, since I was, music has always been one of the most important things in my life. And so coming here from Southern California, I thought, you know, and I was 16, I was, my immediate attitude was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, I was in, you know, the, the Mecca of like cool underground music. And now I have to move to this little desert town and this is awful. And I quickly found out that there was a thriving music scene here and um, I just found my way in pretty quickly. And, and, um, and one of the, w- the ways I found um, into that scene was through these two houses. And I was, I was just a, you know, a kid in high school living on the East side, but um, you know, it was small enough that you could, if you were, um, if, if you were into underground music that you would, you know, you can find each other in this sort of pre-digital age. And so, um, yeah, so I, I quickly found out that Tucson was actually really cool. And I, I quickly made friends and found out that people here were, were just actually great. You know, I was like, Oh, people are nice here. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, the houses are, both still there and they're on the corner of Speedway and Euclid. And, um, they used to sit directly next to Tucson's only late night, um, fast food restaurant called greasy Tony's. Mm. And it's really interesting because greasy Tony's had two locations at the time. One was in, um, New Brunswick, New Jersey, and the other, uh, in Tucson, Arizona, go figure. Um, and so, um, this little corner was not only one of the busiest corners in Tucson, um, street corners in all of Tucson, but you've got this sort of these two houses that became like sort of the epicenter of underground music in Tucson, sitting next to the only late night restaurant right in the middle of, you know, the university area, which, you know, there's, there's just so much traffic and, and random people coming into greasy Tony's hearing music, going over to the houses. 
basically be like five or six bands and he would, it would be a big party and the whole thing would be like live on um, community cable. So luckily we've got these great, great footage. That's just really amazing of, of house parties at 818. Um, and as far as the scene goes, I've got footage from um, three different people that were at at TCCC. Uh, and so we've got some great stuff of, of different bands from that time. But as far as the houses go, one of the houses, I've got lots of great footage. And the other one, there is no footage. Amazing stories, but I, I employed some awesome Tucson illustrators to help tell the stories and give you know, visuals and pictures and, and, um, and animations as well. Documentary is called a tale of two houses. That was Chris Carlone, the creator director and, uh, force behind making that. Uh, we are in the midst of our year end wrap up of history, art, and culture here on a life along the streetcar. We'll be back to finish up 2023 in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you that you're listening to Downtown Radio on 99.1 FM or streaming on downtownradio.org. This podcast is sponsored by the Mortgage Guidance Group and Nova Home Loans. If you enjoyed this podcast, keep listening or head over to lifealongthestreetcar.org for all of our past episodes, current events, and things to do while visiting Tucson. Tom Heath, NMLS number 182420. Nova. NMLS number 3087, VK number 0902429, Equal Housing Opportunity. Well, this is the very end of our final episode for 2023. For the last couple of weeks here, we've been highlighting some of the fun shows we've done earlier in the year. Today's focus has been on um, history, culture, uh, people that are making an impact in our community. Uh, and so far we've talked to, uh, heard from the group at IMU 360, Power Over Predators, and A Tale of Two Houses. We're going to wrap up here with some uh, some fun creative types. And uh, we're going to launch that with uh, Brian Dahl. He's the, the guy who dances on Congress. I started was at Hotel Congress. Okay. And it was with Hump House. I was t- actually talking business with him. What, and I, what, is, what is Hump House? Hump House is a local DJ, one of the better ones of the in town. So you're. So when was this? Roughly, what year is this? I would say probably about 2016, 2017, roughly. Okay, so you're talking six, seven years ago. You're you're talking to a DJ on the stage. He was doing his thing, and I was just watching and talking business with him at the nightclub. Okay, but then I started moving, and people started recognizing me. All right. So and, you, and said, hey, you're the guy who dances at Congress. You're like famous. People know you. So, yes, people recognize me and me, me and Hump House realized we could easily brand this and make this a thing and make people understand you can brand yourself quite easily and have an uh, avenue how to market yourself. Okay. So I'm out three to four nights a week dancing for three to four hours straight to get people to dance. I'm that icebreaker and then I keep them going. Okay. And then, and how, like, do you dance with them or do you dance like in a cage? How do you so get them So sometimes going? it's next to the DJ on the stage. Sometimes it's on the floor. It just depends at the bar or the nightclub. It's different at each spot. So I dance at Hotel Congress, Playground, General Benz, Highwire, Cobra are some of them in Zenrock. So why I picked dancing was I'm showing, I'm trying to show everyone that you can do it out of anything. 
It's just you have to put the work in. That's Brian Dahl. He's the guy who dances on Congress. He's taken that and built an entire brand around that, has a store and everything downtown inside of the proper shops. Uh, his interview talked a lot about, um, not a lot, but we touched upon his substance abuse problems that he had had and the ways he'd overcome it. Uh, very remarkable young man here in Tucson. That was episode 272. And then the following week, right after that, we uh, had a chance to uh, introduce an artist uh, with the uh, Joseph O'Connell, who is the brains behind an organization called Creative Machines. They've got fun, interactive exhibits all over the world, and, and many of them uh, are right here in our urban core. A lot of the projects we've done in Tucson are really just sort of a conversation with the city about what what people want. So, for instance, um, the piece we installed about a year ago, the Wet Wheel, which is part of the Downtown Links project, was actually one of our first commissions. Um, but you know, the what the the, um, the the Downtown Links project took some time to come to fruition. But the idea came from there's not really any splash parks in downtown, mm-hmm. and I would ride my bike. Um, to and from my studio, between my studio and home. And I would typically uh, get myself soaking wet on one end and then be hot and dry and sweaty in the middle and thought, boy, wouldn't it be great to have some form of squirting art here? And that idea kind of grew. And then lo and behold, we had uh, our son who, when he was about six, um, saw me sketching it up and he said, oh, dad, I know exactly what that does. But what if people don't want to get squirted? And so that led to the little circular path that adjoins the main path. So it's not on the main path. You circle through it as many times as you want. Our facility is eight acres. It's huge. And um, we're always making interactive exhibits. We're making monumental sculptures, many of which are interactive for destinations all over the world. And so several times a year, we invite the public to come and visit. And our son and his friends were always... um, visitors as well. And I would see families coming and everyone would say, really, I wish you would do this all the time. And I'd be like, oh, it's so much work to like close things down, unplug the table saw, you know, make sure people can't get hurt, which which has never happened, of course. And then, you know, host people. So that's from that came the idea for our newest Tucson venture, which is Second Sky, which is a not-for-profit that we've formed to every day host people to an adventure playground with a food and beverage destination, a robust program of after-school support, support for homeschool and micro schools, and then evening and weekend events and programming for the whole family. And in that public space, we need these third objects so that you and I can interact with each other. Um, If you just sit us in a sterile landscape and chairs facing each other will feel awkward to not have anything to say. But you put us next to a sculpture with footprints on the ground and we'll get to talking. Our kids will interact. And so a lot of times we say we make the stuff that helps communities interact with each other. That uh, sculpture uh, Joseph O'Connell is talking about is Toby the Griffin on Scott. Um, If you haven't seen it, um, it's got the footprints leading up to how it got from the old Carnegie Library, which is now the Children's Museum, to where it sits on the corner there on Scott. My name is uh, Tom Heath. You are listening to our year-end wrap-up on Life on the Streetcar. You're listening on Downtown Radio 99.1 FM, or you're streaming at downtownradio.org. Support for Downtown Radio is provided by the Tucson Gallery. 
Located in downtown Tucson inside of the proper shops at 300 East Congress Street, the Tucson Gallery offers original work, reproductions, and merchandise from Tucson artists like Joe Padgett, Jessica Gonzalez, Ignacio Garcia, and many more. For information about all the artists, including when they will be live at the gallery, head to the TucsonGallery.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook as Tucson Gallery. Well, we're going to wrap up our wrap up with the um, uh, an intro to a show that I did back in June as we talked about a man who really shaped downtown. Uh, he passed away this year uh, in June of, uh, of 2023. His name is Donovan Durbin, and he was uh, an icon in the downtown area. And as with many, we lost him at a very, very young age um, and way too soon. Uh, this was uh, the introduction that we did back in uh, uh, on our show, uh, episode 252, back from June 18th, honoring Donovan Durbin. One individual in particular who knew this area inside and out for many different reasons uh, recently passed. We talked about that briefly last week. Donovan Durbin, he was um, an administrator for Park Tucson uh, within the city for over a decade and that's where I first got to know him and then I found out through meeting him that he was so interconnected with the development of downtown since the 1990s and had this really love of the knowledge and history of downtown um, and was so eager to share it and a lot of the enthusiasm that I got for life along the streetcar sort of mirrors some of his uh, his paths. I didn't know it at the time, but as I got to know him, I realized that he and I were really kindred spirits about understanding the value and importance of the history and culture of of, uh, of of who has come before us and why we are here and how that impacts where we're going. And if we lose sight of that, then it changes the direction of where we're going. And it's, uh, it's not a good path, in my opinion. So I, today I just want to talk a little bit about Donovan in case you have not heard because uh, I think he's uh, he's someone that deserves uh, the attention that he is getting. And it's sad that it took his passing for us to come together with this celebration. But as you walk through downtown, you know, the Rialto, the Screening Room, the Fox Theater, all these places with marquees had his name up there with a, a thank you message and an appreciation for all of the work that he had done. Um, he, he was a member of the Downtown Tucson Partnership Board, of which I've been the chair for the last couple of years. And um, again, he brings with him an institutional knowledge, something that is, um, it, it's just, it's not easy to replace because he didn't, he didn't learn about Tucson because he had to, he, he learned about Tucson because he wanted to, um, you know, and, and I was reading an article in the, in the paper, which we'll link to is a, Stim, a Tim Steller column and talking about Donovan and, and taking over at the time was the, uh, the downtown Alliance. So this was a kind of what the merchants and the, and the downtown Tucson partnership have morphed into, but the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the idea was that, you know, the, the businesses would get together and, um, make downtown a better place. Well, this was in the nineties and there wasn't a lot happening there. There'd been some really negative news and, you know, reading Tim Steller's article, he was, um, he was determined to not let that stop him. And he started really looking at the history of downtown 
and bringing back the stories about Hakami's and Levy's department stores and looking at all the buildings and the blocks and recreating what had been there prior and creating this vision of what it could be. Uh, you know, just studied this. This was a passion of his. And then as the, um, the funding and, the, and the, the mindset started to change, we passed, you know, the Rio Nuevo process passed, and that got sort of mired in, um, in some bureaucracy at the beginning. But Donovan worked with some others to bring some life back to the downtown area by instilling some art and culture into the arena, and they brought down Second Saturdays. And he was instrumental in making that happen. Um, that was just part of that understanding that if you got people to come down and experience the culture, the history, the atmosphere of downtown, that you could start to build upon that. And we've seen exactly what happened. Uh, you know, that wasn't, of course, the only catalyst, but it was a big part of it was getting people to recognize the importance of the city center within our community. He went on to co-found the Festival and Events Association of Tucson and Southern Arizona, uh, FITS, FITSA. We, uh, we were actually due um, uh, in July. We had talked about having a, a, um, a show featuring that because we hadn't, hadn't talked about that yet. So Don and I had planned a show, but of course never got a chance to record that, so I won't get his, his perspective on that. But he was uh, instrumental in, in helping get Tucson recognized as a world leader, you know, in festival events, you know, with all the things that we do throughout the year, especially in the spring and uh, the early uh, part of the year, in the spring with the Gem and Mineral Festival, the Agave Festival, all the heritage festivals that we do, the Mariachi Conference. He got that that recognized on a large stage. He was involved with so many things like the Arizona uh, Film Festival, Film Fest Tucson. You just you couldn't go to a major event in downtown without seeing Donovan there and realizing he wasn't just participating, he was involved with the creation of it. Donovan Durbin, a downtown icon, and uh, his uh, inspiration will keep us moving forward for many, many years to come. Well, that's going to wrap up 2023. Thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me share some of these uh, fun stories. We had, you know, probably 50... Uh, 45 to 50 shows throughout the year. Um, and uh, really, uh, all of them have their own special qualities. Picked out a few because I thought they were emblematic of what we'd like to do here on the show. But we invite you to head over to lifealongthestreetcar.org if you want to listen to those or any of our other past episodes. There's also a contact button if you want to find out, like, hey, have you ever done a show about this? And we can get you that information. Or better yet, why don't you do a show about this? And uh, tell us what uh, what it is that you know that, that we should know and share with the world. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, and the like. Um, can't wrap up without saying thank you to some key folks. And one of those are uh, the station itself, Downtown Radio, which gives us this huge platform uh, to share this uh, message on a weekly basis. And uh, we also want to thank uh, the band Ryan Hood, who gives us the courtesy of allowing us to open every show that we've done since uh, October of 2017 with their song, Dillinger Days. Uh, it's a, um, kind of a eye to the show now. It's, I hear that song and I immediately think, oh, i got to get on the air. Uh, but thank you to, uh, to all those. Thank you for those of you that listen, and, and thank you to James Portis who helps produce this and put this on throughout the year, does all that work behind the scenes. Someone that really deserves a lot more recognition than I give him on the show, and we're going to change that in 2024, James, because you 
definitely are um, a huge part of why we're so successful here. So thank you to uh, the radio station. Thank you to James. Thank you to you, the audience. Um, yeah, thanks to everybody. It's been a good year, good wrap up. And uh, we want to leave you with music today that has a tying theme to everything. It's about trains, it's about New Year's, and it's about Thomas. This is from a 2020 album called It's Christmas Time, put on by uh, Thomas the Train and his friends. And the song is called New Year's Day with Thomas. And my name is Thomas. So I hope you have a safe new year, a great week, and then tune in next year for more Life Along the Streetcar.